Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be, bringing you the latest in what has been a wild two weeks of news. There is a ton to get to. We have got Stuff touching every part of the state today on the Keeper of the Games podcast. This is episode number 93. Join us at cogsports.com if you are not already. That's our website, facebook.com slash keeper of the games, at cogpod on Twitter. And of course, you can get the audio at our website, of course, or the next best place would be cogpod.podomatic.com or your favorite platform, including Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and so much more. My name is Blake Cripps. I am joined by Tommy Castor. Tommy, uh, the NCAA tournament, the first weekend in the books. We're going to be talking a lot about it today. Uh, but this has been a very interesting two weeks of news for sports in this area. Yeah, I almost feel like we need to maybe skip the formalities a little bit on this show uh, because there is just so much to get there to is. that we, we probably ought to not waste any more time. Well, we're going to go right into it and coming up on the show today. A new Kansas State men's basketball coach and more Chiefs moves that you could put in a video game. It's been unbelievable how much news there has been for the Kansas City Chiefs. And of course, the whip around, but we'll begin today with KU. The men's basketball team in the Sweet 16. KU won the Big 12 tournament fairly comfortably a couple of weeks ago. A blowout victory over West Virginia. Comfortable wins over Texas Christian and Texas Tech. The Jayhawks marched into the NCAA tournament. A blowout victory in round one over Texas Southern, and a win that felt a little bit more squeamish, but they got it done against the Creighton Blue Jays. Next up, the Friars of Providence in the Sweet 16 in Chicago, a 6.30 p.m. tip-off on TBS on Friday. Tommy, one of your big questions before the tournament was, would Remy Martin play? Would he play in the Big 12 tournament? Would he be a factor in the NCAA tournament? Would Bill Self allow him to get in the game? The answer is not just a yeah, it is a hell yeah, because Remy Martin hasn't started, but boy, he's done about everything else for KU. He has been gigantic, both in the Big 12 tournament and in the Big Dance. Yeah, he absolutely has been, and that's really been the X factor for this Jayhawks team, not only in the Big 12 tournament, but in the NCAA tournament as well. Without Remy Martin and what he's been able to bring off the bench, number one, I don't think KU wins the Big 12 tournament, and number two... Uh, the, it was going to be tough going against Creighton in that second round game without uh, the the spark that Remy Martin provided. So he's been the X factor for Bill Self, um, and with a healthy Remy Martin, with an effective Remy Martin. This team is incredibly dangerous. Now they have flaws, like pretty much every team in college basketball does. There's no such thing as a perfect team, uh, but you have to think the ceiling is significantly higher with Remy Martin playing at the level that he is, as opposed to the other scenario. Well, and I think the really interesting thing is, 
that there's been, and we maybe you have talked about it, maybe I talked about it, I don't remember, but I've heard this like, oh, well, how is that going to work with Harris and Martin on the floor at the same time? You know, how how is the offense going to work? I mean, so far it seems like the, the team runs just fine because they played a lot at the same time in these games. And I didn't notice that the offense really played worse at all. In the Creighton game, Remy Martin played demonstrably more than Dewan Harris. And Harris, I don't think, was necessarily bad offensively. It's the same thing that we've talked about. Dewan Harris is much more of a Garrett type of a player in which he facilitates the offense but he's not as long, he doesn't rebound as well, and he doesn't defend as well as Garrett did for Kansas. In terms of distribution, he's probably better than Garrett was. He has an amazing assist-to-turnover ratio, but Remy Martin just gives you another threat on the offensive end. He ended up playing 29 minutes off the bench against Creighton. Dewan Harris only played 17, and KU really did need his offense in the bench uh, in that game. I think Remy Martin, his knee is 100% now. He looks so much more fluid. He looks so much faster than he did after he had the injury. And I think that he gives KU just a different dimension with a guy that obviously, Tommy, this was something that I think was a fair question. How confident could he possibly be after staying on the bench? He hears, you know... I think that you said, you know, oh, then Bill and Remy don't get along and all this, and it, which turns out it was not the case. It was an injury that just wasn't disclosed. But his confidence does not appear to have been shaken at all. He has been emboldened, and when he was given the opportunity to come in and play in the Big 12 tournament, he took full advantage of it. And I'm not saying that the starting lineup is going to change, not even saying that it should change, and there may be a situation where Remy Martin only plays 10 or 15 minutes if Dewan Harris comes out and plays amazing basketball, but the fact that you have Remy Martin at your beck and call whenever you need him to come into the game. And the fact that he's been able to come in, I mean, he got seven rebounds against Creighton. I mean, he's like barely six feet tall. Uh, the, the guy has just been dynamic and exactly the shot in the arm that this Kansas team needed going into March. I think one of the big things to, to take a look at with this, and I'm, I'm going back to your comparison between Dewan Harris and Remy Martin, is that, yeah, Dewan Harris is much more of a facilitator. You mentioned his assist-to-turnover ratio. Um, Dewan Harris works for this team and works inside the Bill Self system, what he wants his guard play to be. Dewan Harris does that very well when the shooters are also playing well. So when Ochai Abaji is putting up 20-plus points a game, when Christian Brown is making his threes, when when David McCormick is you know efficient in the post, it works for Dewan Harris to really not be a scorer as much and to just facilitate sure. the basketball. Well, I don't know if, if anybody has really noticed this. Ochai hasn't shot the ball great. Uh, you know, in the Big 12 Not tournament recently. or in the NCAA tournament. Um, and, and that's a different discussion. But I think that it was very important, and Bill Self recognized this, it was very important that, okay, you might need your point guard to actually be a little bit of a scorer to pick up the slack for those other guys. 
That's not typically Dewan Harris. That's Remy Martin. Now, the other thing I will say is that, you know, yeah, we've talked about Remy Martin's motor. We've talked about the spark that he provides. We talked about his scoring. Um, he can get a little reckless at times. He can turn the ball over at times, but it's a high risk, high reward for Remy Martin. And there were some passes that he completed that were a thing of beauty. So oh, unbelievable. I don't want to hear this narrative that Remy Martin is only a score. Remy can be a facilitator too, if he needs to sure. be. Now it's not as uh, efficient as Dewan Harris is. You're going to see that assist to turnover ratio be a little bit worse for Remy Martin than it is for Dewan Harris. But especially as we get deeper into this tournament, Bill needed a guy, especially against Creighton, that could score the basketball and could take the game over at the point guard position. I, I said this at the very beginning of the season. Watching Remy Martin reminds me of watching Frank Mason. Now, th they have differences in their games. Uh, in fact, I think Remy might be a little bit quicker than Frank Mason was. Um, but but Remy's the kind of guy who can put the game on his shoulders and basically turn things around in a heartbeat in the same way that Frank Mason could. Uh, and we, we've seen that a few different times, especially now that he's healthy and especially now that he has his confidence back. I like where this Kansas team is with Remy Martin, regardless if he starts or not, giving this team quality minutes, especially as we get deeper into the dance. I think that it is interesting to have this discussion about Ochai Abaji. Ochai, believe it or not, he had the best plus-minus in the Creighton game by far. You had Christian Brown was plus eight, and Remy Martin was plus eight. Christian played about 38 minutes. Remy played for 29 minutes. Ochai Abaji played 35. He was plus 15, despite the fact that he was five of 14 and just one of three from the three-point line. And it's been a while since he's had a really great shooting game. Now, I throw out the Texas Southern game because... I mean, KU was absolutely plastering them. That game was never in doubt. And they needed the reserves to come in and basically totally choke. The KU reserves in that game were really bad. But outside of that 15-4 run that Texas Southern got on, I mean, KU probably could have named their score against Texas Southern. So Ochai Abaji, that game doesn't count. It, it, it is totally irrelevant. But... Did not score great in many games in the Big 12 tournament. Just 5 of 14. He only took three three-pointers, so he wasn't that active in the offense from outside the arc in a game in which KU shot a good percentage, 38%, 6 of 16 from the three-point line. But uh, you would like to see Ochai get off to a hot start and really be able to take the team on his shoulders once they get up to Chicago. Jalen Wilson, I think, has been a nice boon for this team in terms of rebounding. He had 14 and 14 against Creighton. Uh, but gosh, it sure would be nice if Ochai Abaji could come out and, and just torch two or three three pointers in the first half. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that I think is really um, just remarkable for this team is they played Creighton and. You know, obviously Creighton was down two of their top players due to injury, and that was the big story coming into the game. How would Creighton respond? I think a lot of people, you know, understandably didn't, so, didn't think that that Kansas would have much trouble putting the Blue Jays away. But Creighton had a, a, a fantastic shooting game, especially from beyond the arc. It, it, and they're not a good shooting team not, at all. But they they did, and that's always a narrative in the tournament with Kansas. They, at one point or another tend to match up against a team that just lights it up from three. Now, 
I think there are differing thoughts to this. We don't necessarily need to get into that. I know some people say it's just terrible luck that happens with the Jayhawks. I think other people you know, say that maybe it exposes the fact that KU doesn't always play great defense on the perimeter, which that, you know, that's a different, uh, different discussion, but, um, they, they actually, Kansas was actually able to withstand the hot shooting game from Creighton, which we've seen plenty of tournament games in the past where that hasn't been the case for Kansas. You think of Villanova, you think of Oregon, Oregon. you think of Auburn, you think of USC, uh, over the recent years, hot Rhode shooting Island. Rhode Island, uh, VCU, Northern Iowa. I mean, the list goes on and Freaking on. Northern Iowa of these God. teams that are they shoot they, and they typically don't shoot well, but when they face up against Kansas in the yeah. tournament, they just go off. And it, it, it ha- somehow it happens. These are typically games that Kansas doesn't win. And on top of that, Bill Self said in his post game that two months ago that Creighton game was not a game that Kansas would have won. And so I think a lot of that he credits, he credits to Remy Martin and what Remy can do offensively. Um, But also I think that's good to know going into the sweet 16 against Providence. And then hopefully beyond for this Kansas team that they do have the personnel now this season that they can withstand a hot shooting team. Now I do think about, you know, a couple of years ago when they played Villanova and Villanova was the like the greatest thing on the planet and it it wouldn't have mattered if they it were was, real good. If it was this team or another team, Villanova was going to win that basketball game. But it, it, it's nice to know that at least with this particular squad going deeper into the tournament, they can withstand that initial hot shooting game by a team and, and hopefully come out on top. One interesting discussion that I think needs to be had, because you mentioned that the team is not perfect. And I think the front court play is something that has been wildly inconsistent over the last month or so. And it starts with David McCormick. David against Creighton, it's so crazy to, to look at how he played that game because he made some really bad reads in the post in terms of helping off of Kaluma when he absolutely should not have been when there was a drive to the paint. I remember there was one in the in the second half and Ochai was I mean he had the guy he had him stopped. I think it was Ryan Hawkins by the way, which by the way there were a couple of fouls that weren't called against Hawkins that I guarantee if Hawkins is wearing a jersey that's forest green and says Northwest across the top, I promise you he gets those calls <laughs> if he's playing for Northwest Missouri. Missouri. I promise you. He Only gets if they're calls. playing Newman, though, right? Uh, well, I mean, any against a lot of MIAA, a mm. lot of Division II teams, Northwest and Ryan Hawkins is going to get that call. But again, wearing a Creighton uniform, it's a slightly different story. He was, there were so many. I thought, by the way, I thought all of the shots that David, for the most part, took were good. One field goal from the outside that I thought was kind of rushed, and one post move that I thought was very rushed. But for the most part, I was happy with all of his touches, but he did not finish. His touch around the basket was very poor against Creighton. He was just two for eight. And you look at his performance down the stretch. Against Texas Tech, 5 of 10, 8 of 9, gobbled up a ton of fouls. He drew a ton of fouls. He got to the free throw line. Great job by David McCormick. Had 11 rebounds. Against West Virginia, 
only had, you know, he went for nine points, two of four, five of six, only five rebounds. We talked about the Texas game where he was perfect at the line, not very good from the field. Against the two game, in the two regular season games against TCU, we want to combine four of 13. He was fine against Texas Southern. Again, that game doesn't really matter. Against Texas Tech, he was great. He had 18 points, but boy, did he make some poor reads defensively. On the other hand, he had a couple of huge blocked shots down the stretch that could have definitely turned the tide for Creighton if he had not blocked those shots. One of them, I think, came against Hawkins. So David McCormick, I think, is a guy that I look at, and you know that I've been pro-David McCormick for the, his entire career. But this season, he has not been as consistent, and I think that the foot is bothering him when he tries to finish in the post. He doesn't appear to be on balance, and he doesn't appear to be getting the shot the way that he needs to. I would like to see David McCormick's minutes limited to around 20. Get in there, start the game with him. There may be a scenario or a matchup against a bigger guy where you have to have David in there patrolling the lane. He had a couple of huge block shots against Creighton, and you might may need him. And if he's 100% and he can go and get you 10, 15 rebounds, the David McCormick's going to have to play 25, 30 minutes. But if he's only going to shoot 25% from the field, I think you've got to dial back his minutes a little bit. To who? I mean, Mitch? Uh, I mean, there, there was the, the game in the Big 12 tournament that Mitch had a career high in points and looked, you know, pretty solid. Um, but, I mean, you want to talk about inconsistent. Mitch Lightfoot Mitch has, has been kind of been the epitome of inconsistent for a long yes, time. K.J. Adams and Zach Clements have a lot of upside, um, and they can give you decent stretches. Um, and, and for Clements, it's pure, raw athleticism that I think will you take c- some time to refine and develop. You cannot trust him right now, no. I don't think, because he came in in that Texas Southern game, and there were stretches you can see, wow, okay, this guy yeah. can play. And then there were stretches like, this guy is not good at all. Yeah, I, I mean, basically when it comes down to David McCormick for me, you know, this KU team has at most and at best two weekends of basketball left. At best, four games remaining with David McCormick. Um, I'm I'm done trying to figure out David McCormick. Honestly, I'm, <laughs> I'm done. I'm done trying to analyze David McCormick um, because you just you just don't know what you're gonna get. And there are things that are just absolute head scratchers that yeah may very well be contributed due you know to the foot injury, but also I think a lot of it, to be honest with you, Blake, is up here. You know, a lot of it is mental with him. I mean, just things like simple things like you can't you can't catch the ball. Uh, simple thing. I mean, just simple things like that. Um, and, and again, I, I am not, when I say that, I'm not suggesting that I could go out and do any better. Um, it's a tough position to be in when you are a post player at Kansas, you are under a lot of scrutiny and you come, uh, in after some big time guys in that program that have been in that same position. One of the biggest. What, and, and so it's, it's absolutely tough. Um, I'm not saying I could do any better at all, but what I am saying is that it, it's some of these decisions and some of these moves that he makes are just head scratchers. Then other times he looks brilliant and you see that, that flash of talent from him that you're like, man, like if he could have just put it all together, he could have been dominant. And I don't think anybody would say David McCormick is dominant. I think at best McCormick is serviceable and can get the job done in the post. And at worst, he he's infuriating uh, to fans. Sure. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, I, I don't disagree with your sentiment that 
in the ideal situation, maybe limiting his minutes would be for the best, but I'm just not exactly sure who else you're going to go to. Mitch maybe for a little bit, but we we've seen him you know, Mitch completely be lost out there too. So, oh, absolutely. Th- that is absolutely the Achilles heel of this team, in my opinion, on both sides of the court. I mean, offensively it is, and defensively too, because I've seen both of those guys miss assignments. And so, that that to me, if I'm Ed Cooley, the coach at Providence, or if I'm one of the remaining coaches that KU could be faced, you know, up against down the stretch. That's what I'm looking at trying to do is exploiting the front court because I think that's really where the biggest opportunity is. Well, and I think Providence, who's going to be the next opponent, number four seed, the Friars, who are 33rd in the Ken Palm, they're 38th in Haslametric. So this is not just some no-name team. It's been, by the way, hilarious. All of these people online have said, oh, if KU doesn't make the Final Four this year, and yeah, okay, Baylor got, they lost in the second round. Kentucky lost to St. Peter's. Like, I, I, it still amazes me how many people think that Bill Self is just a terrible coach because he's only got one national championship. Like, that's the, it's, let me be clear. You don't judge college coaches by national championships. You never have, and you never will. It's pure insanity. The tournament is set up to promote upsets. The highest seeds, the best teams are given no advantage. There's no home court advantage throughout the playoffs, okay? So get out of here with this Bill Self needs to get fired junk that I've seen on Facebook and Twitter. It's the stupidest stuff I've ever heard of, and I'm really tired of looking at it for now five, ten years. Oh, he always underperforms in the postseason. The players are the ones who... Coach Self gets them to the tournament. The players get to the Final Four, and they both win a national championship. That's how it works. He cannot go out and make the players play well in the postseason. That's not how it works. Getting back to my point. Well, I, I'd like to, can, I jump you, in, can I jump in there very quickly before we sure. move to, to Providence? I do believe that if this team does not make it to the Final Four at this point— it's a you can chalk this season up as a disappointment. I absolutely wholeheartedly. I would believe not. That. Do, I would not. Um, I, I would say it would be a disappointing. It would be a disappointing NCAA tournament. It would not be a disappointing season for me. The, for me, this tournament, the season is a failure. If KU does not make it to the Sweet Sixteen, I wouldn't even say failure. Failure might be a little strong, but it's disappointing if KU does not make it to the Sweet Sixteen. That's a disappointing. It's a disappointing season. Once you're in the Sweet 16, I, you know, I I can't bother to be disappointed if Providence goes out and hits 70% from the three-point line. I mean, what do you what do you do? What are you supposed to do? To to me, it's not a it's not an arbitrary benchmark of, you know, Sweet 16 or bust. It is based on your draw and based on the way the field has fallen to you. At this point, through the first weekend, when you look at that Midwest region and you look at who's left, I'm not knocking Providence. I'm not knocking Miami or Iowa State. Clearly, they're good basketball teams. They won two games in the first weekend to get to this point. But your number two seed, Auburn, gone. Your number three seed, Wisconsin, gone. Your number five seed, Iowa, gone. Six is gone. Seven is gone. Eight is gone. Uh, nine is gone. Ten is gone. I mean, like the way that the field has fallen 
in that draw, in that region for Kansas, if you do not win both games this weekend, it, as far as I'm concerned, it's a two-game tournament this weekend. That's kind of the well, way you have to break it down. That's the same it is every year, though. That's every year. And if, if your opponents, whether it's a preseason tournament, um, an in-season tournament, or a postseason tournament, if your opponents in that tournament are Providence and either Miami or Iowa State, Kansas should be expected to win both of those games. Sure, and that's not unfair. That's and not unfair. So my, my point is, if this team does not make it to the Final Four, if they fall in one of these two games, in my opinion, you chalk, I chalk that up to a disappointment because of the way that things have fallen yeah. to them. I, I said it would be a disappointing tournament. It would be a disappointing tournament. I'm not going to rest my base my opinion on Bill Self or the season based I never on said Bill Self. I'm I'm just saying. Well, well that's what I'm saying. The that Bill Self and the how I feel about the season is not going to be solely based on this wacky team. And you know, some of these teams that yeah are not as talented as Kansas are. They're playing very, very well sure. right now. They sure. wouldn't be in the Sweet 16 if they weren't playing. The Sweet 16 and March Madness rewards the teams that are playing the best right now, not the teams that are actually the best. And if I, they I love... rewarded teams that played the best, KU would get buys. Sure. So would Duke. So would Villanova. These other teams that have been the Blue Bloods these last few years. Tournament's not set up that way. I'm not saying it should be changed to be set up that way. I'm just telling you how it is. I I sure like the narratives, though. I like the storylines, you know, especially if Kansas can get through Villanova uh, on Friday, because in in that case, you're taking on, or I'm sorry, Providence, you're taking on one of two teams on Sunday. You're either taking on Iowa State, so it's a, a, a conference opponent that you played two other times this season, or you're taking on Miami, who has been led by Charlie Moore, who played at Kansas, and Charlie Moore has been outstanding for Jim Laranaga in Miami in this tournament. So I love the storylines. I would love to see Kansas make it to that point. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I get what you're saying as far as not wrapping the whole season up in a bow because of the result of the NCAA tournament. At the same time, though, I think that Kansas has been given a path to a national championship. At least the final four. Uh, at least the, but even the national championship. I mean, you you have to get to the well, final four some pretty to make the damn national. Good teams sure. left. I'm not saying it's it's tough, but even you have, you can't make the national championship if you don't make the final four. So the path all the way to the to the to the tournament championship, I think has been paved for them a little bit. So I, it's it all has been. Yeah, yeah, and I don't disagree with that. And I wouldn't even disagree. You know, there are people that say that Coach Self in Kansas has underperformed nationally. You know, and I would say even going back to a hundred years, it's true. They've only got five national championships, only three NCAA tournaments. A hundred percent fair. And if you want to judge the team by that. It's a free country, and God bless you. I'm not going to do it because I'm not a Kentucky fan, and I'm not an Alabama fan, and I don't actually think that the coach and the team sucks and the season was a failure if we didn't win the national title. Those are the only two fan bases. Well, can we talk about really quickly? I mean, we haven't even brought it up yet. You mentioned Kentucky, the fact that Kansas... Now has now is tied with Kentucky for the most all-time wins. That's true. I mean, that's pretty yeah. remarkable. It is pretty unbelievable going in when I think KU was at one point they were like a couple of years ago they were forty games back of Kentucky, yeah. 
for the all-time wins. And now it, with a win against Providence, they will pass and become the all-time winningest program in history. And, you know, doesn't there's no way to know how that's going to play off, play out in the next decade or 20, 30 years. Obviously, I don't have any doubt that KU is going to stay a nationally relevant blue blood program. There's no reason to think that Kentucky is going to fall off the face of the earth just because they're not the all-time winningest program. You mentioned the fact that you're looking forward to that storyline in the Elite Eight. However, we must talk about a little bit these Friars. You mentioned the deficit that KU has had at the front court position and how sometimes that has been the big silver bullet to knock out the Jayhawks. Providence has a guy that could do that. His name is Noah Horchler. 10 points, 9 rebounds a game. He shoots 41% from the three-point line. He had 16 and 14 in the second round. Four of six from the three. And nine times this year, he has nailed at least three three-pointers. They're a fairly balanced team. It's their first Sweet 16 in 25 years, so in my mind, there's no pressure. They're playing with house money. They're third in the country in free throws attempted per game. Nate Watson leads them with 14 points. He's gone for 20-plus eight times. But I think Noah Horchler, the guy who will play at that forward position, will stretch the defense a little bit and can absolutely hit the three-point line. If KU does not win this game against Providence, and I'm not saying that they won't, but if they don't, I am betting that it's going to be because Noah Horchler had a big, big, big game for the Friars. I don't pretend to know X's and O's like a lot of the experts out there, um, but you have to think if, if he's going to be the guy that – can stretch the floor and he's also your big that's really an area that david mccormick is not well equipped in uh and so you, not you, have, at all. you have to wonder like what's the next best option is it to throw jalen wilson out there is it to put jalen wilson you know on the five just to stretch a little bit i mean you know i don't i don't exactly i don't know what you're doing there and our audio triangle and two boxing okay. one baby all right fair enough nobody throws out a junk defense like bill self and has it miraculously work nobody in the country typically they're they have to be down by like 15 points before bill i mean i'd rather be down by 15 defense. and win then well, sure. you know play man to man and lose that's, I mean, that's as far as saying. as far as personnel is concerned maybe Jalen Wilson you know he can stretch the floor a little bit uh, that's fair I, you know I, yeah, I don't I like know that. I mean th- there there are options out there where you don't necessarily have to match up big maybe to KJ big. maybe I mean KJ brings that length he's uh, got athleticism. athleticism yeah sure yeah absolutely so I mean there are options out there but that that goes back to the whole discussion that you and I had two weeks ago on the program when you get into tournament time your rotation starts to tighten up as the coach. We've seen that from Bill Self countless years. He leans on the guys he trusts, maybe almost regardless of the matchup. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not necessarily sure that in a matchup against a a big that can stretch the floor and can and can shoot a, shoot the three that Bill Self would necessarily go away from David McCormick because he trusts David McCormick to go to someone that he might not trust as much. So that'll be an interesting storyline to, to pay attention to. The Jayhawks going to be taking on Providence. It is a TBS game. TBS, 6.30 p.m. on Friday. If the Jayhawks win and go to the final, uh, go to the Elite Eight, they would play for the right to go to the Final Four sometime on Sunday, and that should be announced on Saturday. 
Well, with Baylor out early this year in the NCAA tournament, uh, that allowed Kansas State to find their new head coach. No, they did not go far. In fact, they didn't even leave their conference. As Jerome Tang will take over as the next head coach of Wildcat men's basketball. He's been the lead assistant at Baylor for Scott Drew since 2003, helped build the Bears program from nothing into a national championship last year. 55 years old. He's been a grinder. I believe this is his first head coaching job at the collegiate level. Tommy, this was not a name that was on my radar at all. Uh, everybody, of course, the popular theory was, oh, Brad, you know, let's go get Coach Underwood, a guy who's been at Kansas State, pull him away from Illinois. That's never going to happen. That, that he was the going to be the guy in Manhattan. Obviously, that did not pan out. What are your thoughts on the new head men's basketball coach for Kansas State, Jerome Tang? Well, you know, my my initial thought when, you know, I thought of who could fit uh, in Manhattan, uh, my first thought was Chris Jans, uh, and he ended up at Mississippi State. Uh, that, uh, I, that's the number two name that I heard. But that that was that was kind of my guy that I thought, okay, well, you know, he's got he's coached in the state before. Obviously, is Greg Marshall's assistant at Wichita State, uh, led New Mexico State to an NCAA tournament berth. Um, of course, he ended up going Which to the SEC. Which is an accomplishment. Right. Ended up going to the SEC, coaching now at Mississippi State. Um, but the more that I dug into Jerome Tang the more that I absolutely love this hire for Kansas State. Um, I think this is the right guy at the right time for the Wildcats. Now, anybody that has listened to this podcast for any length of time, whenever we talk about about Bruce Weber, um, you know, it's pretty clear when they hear me talking about Bruce Weber that I think he's a bozo. <laughs> um, and, you know, not that he was a a horrible coach. I mean, clearly he, he was a solid coach and connected with you players over 500 over wins. Right. Yeah. You, you with don't, being you, a bad coach. you don't go to the NCAA tournament and win conference championships, you know, taking a team to the elite eight, like Bruce Weber did, if you don't have some skill. So he wasn't a complete bozo, but he was easy to make fun of. Uh, he had, he was quirky. He had some things about him that you just rolled your eyes at. And as a Kansas fan, personally, it was easy for me to just make fun of Bruce Weber. And secretly, <laughs> even though I would call for Bruce Weber to be fired multiple times on this show, um, secretly deep down, I wanted him to stay because I, I, I thought it was just funny for him to be there. But <laughs> this is completely different. Uh, Jerome Tang brings a sense of credibility and um, hard-nosed coaching ability that Bruce Weber didn't necessarily have, or maybe did at first, but lost a lot of that equity with the Wildcat crowd and the fan base over the years. Um, just reading the stories about who Jerome Tang is. And, you know, it, it wasn't just like, I mean, you think of the, the college coaching game right now, uh, and it's been this way for a long time. You've got coaches that they go a lot of times will go from one program to another, you know, that they're there for a couple of years and they're bailing for the next best offer. And, you know, they're, they're going to wherever the grass is greener. Jerome Tang stayed with Scott Drew for 20 years. He's been with that program for 20 years. It's unheard of. Yeah. And there's a reason why the culture of basketball at Baylor is and obviously I'm biased because I'm a Kansas fan, but the culture of basketball at Baylor, in my opinion, is second in the Big 12 only to Kansas. Uh, and it's because of 
the the tenure, the stability, the longevity of Scott Drew and Jerome Tang. And while Scott Drew has gotten the accolades over the years and has gotten the, I mean, you know, the the guy won Big 12 Coach of the Year. Uh, you know, he, he's done that. He gets the deservedly accolades. So. Deservedly so. Jerome Tang is the the vice president to Scott Drew's president. It's kind of like, I equate this higher to this. I equate it to Oklahoma when Lincoln Riley in football left to go to USC and Oklahoma brought in Brent Venables, longtime assistant coach, the yeah. one of the, the one of if not the best assistant coaches in the country, and Oklahoma brought him in to be the head coach. Kind of the same thing with Jerome Tang and Baylor. So I love this hire. I think it gives instant credibility to the to the Wildcats program, and I think that really when you look at personality. I think Gene Taylor realized he needed to get somebody that was that could be taken a little bit more seriously than Bruce Weber was able to be taken, especially towards the end of his tenure in Manhattan. So I love this hire. I think it's a great thing for Kansas State, and I think he's going to do a really good job there. Uh, I'll tell you one thing I didn't like about that hire was that uh, lavender pullover that they had him wearing. So apparently that's going to continue to be a thing for Kansas State's uniforms, which I absolutely hate. He looks terrible. Other than that, I, I don't have anything negative to say about it. I It's not a hire that I was expecting. It's not one that was on the my radar at all. But I think that this is a fantastic hire for, for, uh, for Kansas State. You look at what Tang has done. And you look at what they've done at Baylor. Remember, I don't think people remember exactly where Baylor was when they took over in 2003. Baylor was coming off of one of the worst scandals in the history of sports. There was a homicide. A murder was involved at Baylor. And I'm not saying that to make people feel bad. And not at the university. Within the men's basketball program, one player murdered another. It, it, there was there was criminal activity yeah. with the former head coach. There were crimes involved. They called police. There was an investigation. Someone lost their life. This is they were as low. I mean, I'll be honest. The fact that they didn't get the death penalty from the NCAA is a is a joke. They they absolutely should have gotten the death penalty because of the incredible unbelievable mismanagement of that basketball program at a, a you know supposedly a Christian school what Scott Drew did and has done in my eyes is one of the greatest program building achievements in the history of college sports rivaled in my mind only by Gene Stevenson building baseball back at Wichita State and Bill Snyder building football at Kansas State. I looked at some other basketball schools. I can't think of any other basketball school that even comes close to what Scott Drew has done. And the fact that Tang has been there since the beginning and has been there for all of the high points, some very, very, very low points. Because they, when they started, I mean, they were as bad as a college basketball team can be for four or five years. They were god-awful. And the fact that they were able to build up and not just you know hit the adversity and get them to the next level, but push forward and get Baylor 
out of Waco, Texas, to the point where they are now considered to be one of the top 16 programs in the country on a year-in and year-out basis and a team that you just, you don't, it's not that you're surprised when Baylor's in the top 25 because that's happened for a while. You now expect Baylor to be in the top 25. You they now were expect- number one in the country for like 72 yeah. weeks in a row or something like that. Yeah, they were the best team last year. Pure, okay. Yeah. Gonzaga was maybe a better team from top to bottom. I understand. Baylor was the better team in that game, 100%. And Baylor was absolutely the most deserving national champion last year. And the fact that you have a guy that has been in the trenches with that program for that amount of time and a guy who has demonstrated, to your point, the ability and the willingness to stay until the job is done. Because Baylor's not... I don't think just because Tang Lee is, I'm guessing that Baylor's not going to become like a 10-win team next year. No. Just a guess. KU, like we said earlier, is not going down. I like Coach Boyden at Oklahoma State. I think they're going to be on the come up, and I don't necessarily think that Chris Beard is going to forget how to coach. I don't think Texas Tech is going to go away either. I don't think Kansas State is an easy job for Coach Tang. But if you are Gene Taylor and you set out a five-year plan or maybe it needs to become six or seven years, I would like to throw my chips in the middle with this guy because you talk to people, and not that I have, but you you listen to people who have talked to him, who have played for him. This guy is a grinder. It's going to mean something to him. He has been an assistant coach at the college level for 20 years. Finally, he gets a you know his first head coaching job at a Power 5 school. Not a guy who's been chewed up and spit out and regurgitated a thousand times across all these different programs like Tubby Smith or Rick Pitino or these other guys who just keep Steve Alford and just keep getting jobs over and over again. This is a guy who's finally got his shot. And I believe that he is going to give Kansas State everything that he's got. And I don't know whether it's going to work out. There's no way to know. Maybe in four years, they're the worst team in in Kansas State history and they let him go and he's fired. I don't know. All I know is right now, in this moment, I think that he's a fantastic choice for that program. And while he was not my first choice, probably would have been Chris Jans. I don't know that I would, if I, if now that he is there and now that I've seen, done some research, I don't know that I, if I would trade for Chris Jans off of Jerome Tang. I don't the, think I would do that. The other thing to keep in mind, too, is that the landscape is so much different now in college basketball. So Jerome Tang is going to have significant resources at his disposal to turn the Wildcat fortunes around quicker than what it took to turn around Baylor 20 years ago with Scott Drew. Oh, definitely. You've got NIL. You've got the transfer portal. You've got opportunities now. I mean, look at what TJ Olselberger did at Iowa State. Iowa State under Steve Prohm last year won two games. Two. They, they lost They lost this many, by the way. 20, 22. They won two games last year. They are in Which I the, didn't even I didn't even realize that they were that bad. They are in the Sweet 16 this year. Uh, in in a one-year turnaround span. So there are opportunities there for Jerome Tang. And, you know, I I, I wholeheartedly believe, if you want to go back to the whole conversation of um, the importance of an in-state rivalry, Kansas-Kansas State, I know a lot of Wildcat fans genuinely want Kansas football to be better 
because it makes that rivalry more fun when it's more competitive. In the same way, as a Kansas basketball fan, it's fun to it was fun to make fun of Bruce Weber and make fun of the Wildcat team, but it, I feel like it was so much more entertaining when Frank Martin was there and that year that Bob Huggins was there and they were really, really competitive and they were tough, hard nosed, big game matchups between Kansas and Kansas state, regardless if, if it was in Allen Fieldhouse or Bramlage. Um, I'm not saying it wasn't there for Bruce Weber because it absolutely was. There were some classic matchups, including a fist fight with Silvio DeSosa at the end of a game a couple years ago. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that this makes that rivalry better. And I think that Kansas State has an opportunity to really legitimize itself in the Big 12 year in and year out, uh, as opposed to a couple of years at a time. So I really do like this hire. I think that Kansas State fans are taking a, a sigh of relief, a collective sigh of relief that maybe they didn't go and get a big flashy name like a Brad Underwood, or even I heard Frank Weber or Frank, uh, Frank Martin coming back to Kansas state. Uh, but they, they got a solid coach with a solid reputation who I think can do really good things there. Of course, Kansas State, still a little bit of time to wait as they get set for their next season. Uh, so that'll be the off season and an early start on recruiting for Coach Tang. Be interesting to see who he adds to his staff there in Manhattan. But a big CogPod, Keeper of the Games, stamp of approval for Kansas State. I think that could be a program to be reckoned with here in the next couple of years. Final segment on the show. And, you know, coming in, I I thought this would just be kind of a little add-on, you know, that catch you people up to date, get them up to speed on the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, There's been some moves, probably uh, ought to talk about them. How is this then, not our top story? Uh. And then, uh, hello, it's March, big dance, because I'm not indoctrinated by uh. the shield that football is the only thing that matters. Uh. Uh, there was a, a bit of a signing today, uh. a trade by Kansas City that uh, sends Tyreek Hill uh, to the Miami Dolphins uh, for five picks, uh, three of which will come next year, one in the first round, I think a second and a fourth as well. Tyreek Hill, go ahead. It's a sign and trade, I believe, or maybe that's only an NBA thing. You do the transaction stuff. I don't. It's, but a, it's, trade. Make Tyre- it's a trade with a long-term extension. Trade with an extension. It's going to make Tyreek Hill, I believe, the highest paid wide receiver in the league, and it's going to be worth north of $50 million. Uh, This is obviously a very, very big setback to the Chiefs offense. Now, there are other moves to get to as the Chiefs signed wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster just earlier, That was which we thought at the time, okay, that's a pretty big signing. Um, But not sure that anybody's going to come in and do exactly what Tyreek Hill did for this offense. Uh, Tommy, you've uh, been able to barely contain yourself over there across town. Uh, your thoughts on this transaction? I I don't know. I, I'm sorry. The fact that you just said, I don't know if there's anybody that can come in and do what Tyreek Hill did. Um, That's I, a fair I can, statement. I can think of two people, and neither one Tyreke of them play Hill? football. Well, two outside of him. Uh, Randy Moss and Jerry Rice. Those are the only two. <laughs> <laughs> that can do what Tyreek Hill has done. Uh, and neither one of those guys are playing football anymore. Um, They're not walking through that door is what you're saying? This whole transaction happened faster than Tyreek Hill can run. Uh, it was quick. Like, like I woke up this morning and was just like, 
okay, it's going to be a normal day. And then boom, 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 gut punch, Tyreek Hill is gone. Uh, I just, it, it's insane. And I hate it. Uh, I hate it. Was it. Not, I, I, I was hate not it. expecting I hate it. I hate it. it. Um, I understand the rationale behind it, but I hate it. And well, I, why, why do you hate it? Do you hate it because, do you hate it because it's, you because oh you like Tyreek Hill he's a great well, player sure. or do you hate it because it's going to hurt the Chiefs' chances of winning a Super Bowl in the next five years? All of the above, uh, you know he's a trans he's he's a transformational player a transformational wide receiver where defenses have absolutely game planned specifically for him and what he can do and tried to make adjustments based off of solely what Tyreek Hill brings out onto the field. Now, I again, going back to what I just said, I understand the rationale. It's really, really difficult to have the highest paid quarterback in the league, the highest paid tight end in the league, and then the highest paid wide receiver in the league, and then be able it's to fill impossible. in all your other positions and stay under the salary cap. It's just not going to happen. Tyreek Hill saw what Devontae Adams got from Las Vegas and said, I want more than that. I'm a better wide receiver than Devontae Adams. There's no way the Chiefs could have paid him. Um, I guarantee you that the Chiefs absolutely really wanted to keep him, right? This was not a, oh, we've got to ship you out of town. It was a, you want this money? We can't afford you. We just simply cannot pay you that. Now, what I hate about it is I hate the haul that the Chiefs got in return. Um, they got now, a lot. The, they got five draft picks, and you know you can easily toss out there. Yeah, they got a first round draft pick out of it. They got the 29th overall pick. Now, I'm not saying that the 29th overall pick cannot be a game changer. Look at what Clyde Edwards Elaire did for Kansas City as the 32nd pick a couple of years ago. What I'm saying is the 29th pick is not the 10th pick. It's not the fifth pick. It's not the first pick. So I feel like, yeah, you may have gotten quantity in return. You may have gotten five draft picks. I don't know. I feel like you probably should have gotten more. And one of the things that I had heard that, you know, a lot of Chiefs fans wanted that I wouldn't have been opposed to is getting a handful of draft picks and then trying to get Jalen Waddle with the wide receiver from Miami back. So at least you're getting some kind of established NFL wide receiver in return. That would have been a little bit more palatable to me. I'm not sure if that was ever in the discussion or not. Um, it's sad to me to see a multi- Pro Bowl, multi-time Pro Bowl player and game changer and franchise wide receiver for Kansas City be shipped off so quickly for a bunch of draft picks. That's a little bit of a bummer to me. The uh, When I first heard this, my initial thought was, why? But you look at the financials of the situation, the Chiefs are going to save a lot of money sure. doing this. And the, the good thing is that unlike another Kansas City franchise, the Royals, there's a I feel confident that the Chiefs, based on how they're currently constructed, are not going to just put this into another swimming pool at, you know, the Hunt household or, you know, for the daughter who's a pageant, you know, winner. They're probably <laughs> not going to buy her a Ferrari with the money. They're probably going to put this back into the team. Which is important to me. If they're going to buy her a Ferrari, then it's the worst trade ever, and get rid of the hunts. I don't think that that's going to happen. 
the Chiefs are going to get a lot of cap space, and I think that Patrick Mahomes is the reason that this can work. And that the reason is because the quarterback is obviously more important than the wide receiver core. And the Chiefs need help on defense. But they here, need here's help the thing, and I, I want to counter this um, because this offseason has been absolutely wild, especially in the Across AFC. The league. Especially in the AFC West. It has been an arms race in the AFC West, stocking up on supplies to battle the Chiefs. And you look at what Denver has done. You look at what Las Vegas has done. San Diego, or I'm sorry, Los Angeles, already had an incredibly talented team. And it looks like Kansas City is going the other direction. Um, Is this a sign that the Chiefs are willing to, I don't want to say throw in the towel on this immediate upcoming season, but are they more focused on looking at what does two, three, four years down the line look like with Patrick Mahomes as opposed to right this season with their salary cap issues? Is it, let's just kind of clear some space now. Maybe we, maybe we're not a Super Bowl team next year, uh, but let's try to stock up for the next couple of years. I think here's the thing that you have to look at. The Chiefs are going to be able now to get guys in the draft to help them. And that you know the two C's are what comes out of the draft. The talent is controllable and cheap. The two most important, the two best C's in all of football are players that you can control and that you don't have to pay that much money and that have a lot of upside. And that's what you get out of the draft. They've got two fourth-round picks, four seventh-round picks. they got the additional fourth-round pick from the Hill trade. They've got a ton of draft capital, the additional first-round pick, in order to be able to build, not just for next year, but in the future, with money that they can put into guys that is going to be controllable and inexpensive and still possibly you know, very, very talented. Because we saw last year that there are going to be you know, things that the Chiefs, I believe, need to do defensively in order to take the next step. Are there, you know, is there another guy that can come in and replace him? No. I've seen, you know, some rumors that maybe OBJ is a guy that can come into Kansas City. They've already signed Juju Smith-Schuster. I've heard Marquez uh, Valdez-Scantling from Green Bay could be sure, a possibility. There are other guys they just signed, the Chiefs did. They signed wide receiver Corey Coleman to a one-year contract. They signed Elijah Lee uh, and Bar- but I'll tell and you right now, Barku. I'll tell you right now, when you look at the, the wide receiver room, right now as it stands for Kansas City, I mean, let's not forget, they lost Byron Pringle. He signed with the Bears. Sure. They lost Demarcus Robinson. He signed with the Raiders. Now they don't have Tyreek Hill. Your wide receiver room, it's Juju, it's Juju Smith-Schuster, Mikul Hardman, Josh Gordon. Those are your wide receivers right now. Uh, I don't love it. And the reason I don't Me love neither. it is that now, unless there are more reinforcements coming in through the draft or through free agency, this is going to allow defenses across the league to zero in on Travis Kelsey all the time. 
uh, there were a lot of times where defenses had to choose. Are we going to try to to cover Hill? Or are we going to try to cover Kelsey? Because we don't have the personnel to cover both. And, you know, it, it, the thing that is disappointing to me is that as we were wrapping up the Chiefs season, I think it was on our recap, I think I talked about how, you know, not only was the defense a concern, but it was, at the time, Who's going to be the number two wide receiver in that room next year? Now the question is, who's going to be the number one receiver going into this season? Juju Smith-Schuster has shown flashes of being super effective. He has a hard time staying healthy. Hopefully he can stay healthy in Kansas City. But, you know, I really, I think that the Chiefs are going to have to look elsewhere in the draft and in free agency. I hope they're not done to try to come in and and find a cheap, I guess, replacement for Tyreek Hill, uh, at least for this season while they tried to build up those guys out of the draft. The other thing, too, that I wanted to talk about that has been a really, really big storyline, it probably would have been the top story, was the signing for the Chiefs of Reed. As Justin Reed got signed, which in most of the pundits minds means that Tyron Matthew is not coming back gone. I don't know. I don't know how this, the, the, you know, cause obviously there's going to be a lot less money tied up on the offense. Maybe that can go over to the defense, but I mean, Tyron Matthew is a guy that you and I both said, let's find a way to lock this guy up because he is the leader on the defense. Um, and another guy that we thought, you know, this is, it's about time to move on. Frank Clark is going to be coming back to the Chiefs. They restructured his contract. 28-year-old. He's uh, rejoining the Chiefs. Four and a half sacks, two forced fumbles in 14 games last season for the Chiefs. He's got 18 and a half sacks in 43 games in the regular season, eight sacks in nine postseason games. So it's not like he hasn't been totally unproductive. He's a three-time Pro Bowl, 53 and a half sacks in seven seasons. So it's not like he's done nothing, but we both kind of thought maybe this was a good time to move on from Frank Clark. So that's not going to happen. Clark is going to be back. How will that pair with the other guys that they have across the defensive front line? And, and, you know, unfortunately with the Reed signing to kind of move on to the next item of business on the Chiefs offseason, you know, schedule – yeah, boy, no Tyron Matthew is what everybody is saying now. He hasn't been released. He hasn't been traded. He is still a member of the Chiefs right now. Coach Andy Reid said that he's confident he's going to come back. Tyron Matthew in his last interview uh, didn't exactly sound optimistic that he would be back in the red and gold last year. But, boy, that would be a really big subtraction from the Chiefs on the defensive side of the ball. Maybe just as big just for the defense instead of the offense. Yeah, I mean, you you hope, you know, you see him back. Um, but when the Chiefs go out and sign another safety, um, it makes it a little bit more difficult to see this coming to fruition. I don't, I don't yeah. think I don't think Tyron Matthews is going to come back. I think that we're looking at uh, what could be a significant overhaul in the roster for Kansas City, which is a little bit surprising. Again, we talked about the arms race in the in the division, and then just overall, uh, you know, this had been. Let's not forget, in spite of the issues that Kansas City had that were glaring, especially wrapping up the season, uh, this team had has been a dynasty, for lack of a better term. You know, AFC Championship, uh, multiple years, Super Bowl, two years in a row. Uh, you know, so just a, a lot of a lot of different things. 
that would lead you to believe that they shouldn't break the band up. And, and they're not. I mean, you've yeah. still got Mahomes, Kelsey. You've got major players. But I don't know. It's I don't exactly get the strategy right now. Um, it's definitely a long-term, not a win-next-year-at-all-costs sure. move, for it's sure. It's a let's try to get the chairs arranged for long-term next success. Run. And you know what? If, if they end up losing six or seven games next year and maybe they get bounced in the first round of the playoffs. Maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. If they can set themselves up for significant success for three to six or seven years down the line. I mean, it's really hard to make it to four AFC championship games in a row. That's what the chiefs are going to be trying to do. If they can, uh, if they can, you know, try to make it this year. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see if they can do it. Another uh, signing to tell you about was the fact that Austin Ryder has been re-signed by the Kansas City Chiefs. Deion Bush also got signed today. He is a safety to a one-year contract. And, of course, the Tyreek Hill trade to Miami in exchange for a 2022 first, second, fourth, and a 2023 fourth and sixth didn't, round pick. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Orlando Brown get franchise tagged as well? He did, yes. That was earlier this month. He was designated as a franchise player. So left tackle Orlando Brown Jr. has been designated with the franchise tag. So he will be back, obviously, with the Kansas City Chiefs, which I'm not super upset about that either. So uh, that is our extended longer than we anticipated Chiefs segment today. Uh, we will wrap things up with just one more piece of business. It is time to go to the music. Let's hit the music at this time for our Wichita Whip Around. One story from around Wichita sports that you probably missed. Tommy, what's your Wichita Whip Around story today? Well, I want to say a big congratulations to Kevin Jinks, who has been named the president and CEO of the Greater Wichita Area Sports Commission. He had been the interim president uh, since I believe November. Um, but he uh, now has been named the president and CEO. Uh, the, Kevin Jinks has been the guy behind the NBC World Series for a number of years, beginning in 2014. Uh, he had been the general manager and director. Uh, the Sports Commission merged with the NBC Tournament and Foundation, uh, and so now he'll be leading that organization uh, into the future. Very happy for Kevin. I don't know Kevin well, but our paths have crossed a couple of different times over the course of my career has always been nice, always been kind uh, and uh, well-deserved for this position. So congratulations to Kevin. Absolutely. I, I think he, I, I have been able to talk to him a little bit more uh, broadcasting the NBC world series over the last few years. Uh, I'm sure that he is still going to have a big, big part in how that tournament is run. And yeah, I don't think that there's anybody going to be impossible to replace a guy like Bob Hansen. Let's not, you know, let's not, <laughs> let's not put him onto that level. Um, just, and that's not anything against Kevin Jenks because he, like I said, rescued the NBC World Series out of nothingness, out of the yeah. complete bottom of the barrel to make it a viable event. Uh, I think that there was nobody else that they could have gone to in order to take over that spot. Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I I was here in Wichita when the NBC tournament was at the bottom of the barrel. I was here in the so 90s was I. when it was great. And, you know, early 2000s when it was really good and baseball around the clock and all that, all, everything that went into it. Uh, and then and then Kevin Jinks came in and really did a great job turning things around with that tournament and, and, and increasing its legitimacy and all of that around the city. Also, very quickly, uh, it wasn't just Kevin Jinks as far as being 
uh, added to this role. There were a couple of other additions to the staff, including Scott Vang, who has been a teacher and coach in the Wichita area for a long time. He's the director of events. And then Brian Turner, who most recently uh, served as the director of sales for the Wichita Wind Surge, had worked for the Wichita Wingnuts for a number of years and held my position with the Wichita Thunder for a number of <laughs> years. He has joined the Wichita Area Sports Commission as the director of community partnerships. So maybe that's uh, the next pipeline for you and uh, on your career trajectory. We will see. Uh, we are going to go back to high school state basketball. We do have some local state champions to tell you about, including Joe Hours, Wichita Heights Falcons. The Falcons with a 61-54 victory over a perennial power in Blue Valley Northwest. They finish 23-2. They win it 61-54 to win the 6A Boys State Championship back at Coke Arena where Wichita Heights belongs. Those years they went up to, to Topeka in 5A, I felt like it was in La La Land. I hated it. It didn't even make sense to me. 6A Derby falls in the championship game. They get pretty much run by Washburn Rule. Uh, give credit to the Junior Blues. They're the only team that beat Derby this year, or just the second team that beat Derby this year, 40-23 to 23 as Derby, the girls, fall in the state championship game for 6A. Nothing on the 5A side. The Mays boys fell in the third place game. Andover Central finished in third in the 5A girls state championship as Salina Central, undefeated coming in, they lost pretty sizably to St. Thomas Aquinas in the 5A Girls State Championship. Boys 4A Championship, Bishop Miege, they got by Andale. This was the big game people were talking about in terms of, oh, should there be a public-private modifier? Well, they did beat the Andale Indians 64-57. to McPherson got third in that one. Girls 4A, Bishop Miege made it a sweep. The Wellington girls ended up falling 82-42 to Bishop Miege, and that was the first of two consecutive losses. They lost in the third-place game to Wamigo, but, you know, it's just a money game for the KSHSAA. Who really cares? Uh, let's see. Heston, not quite Wichita area, but Close. the boys 3A team, uh, they finished 25-1. and They won the 3A state championship by beating Royal Valley in the 3A tournament game. Uh, Hugoton, they lost to Goodland in the 3A state tournament uh, by the final of 48-47 to in that game played at the Hutchinson Sports Arena. And so that is your Wichita whip around as we put a bow on the prep basketball season. Tommy, one last piece of business to take care of, and that's a of course, the additions, corrections, and retractions. Anything that you've got to add for this week? Yeah, I do have an addition. Uh, Shocker basketball. There are four Shocker players who are in the transfer portal. All of them were reserve players. They all were in the rotation this season for Isaac Brown, but all of them averaged less than 17 minutes a game. Chauncey Jenkins, Monzi Jackson, Joe Pleasant, and Quay Grant. All four of them have entered the transfer portal. All of them could ultimately decide to come back to Wichita State, but of course the Shockers don't have to honor their their scholarships uh, if they don't want to. As of right now, there are five open scholarships for Wichita State, and there are currently zero commits right now. It is early, but zero commits uh, for Isaac Brown for this coming next season after we get through March Madness. So uh, definitely some holes to fill there uh, with the Shocker basketball program that I know Isaac Brown and his staff will be eager to fill. 
I mean, the tournament is not even over. The season's right. not even over yet, right. so I'm not at all concerned about that. I do have a couple, actually three editions. Uh, first of all, Ochai Abaji is a Naismith Trophy finalist for the Kansas men. He would be the third Jayhawk to win the honor behind Danny Manning and Frank Mason III, which is, to me, it seems impossible. Like Nick Collins, Nick Collison wasn't the National Player of the Year. It was Jay Williams that year, believe it or not. Uh, KU signee Grady Dick of Sunrise yeah. Academy, the 2022 National Gatorade Player of the Year. Of course, he was playing for the Coach of the Year, Luke Barnwell, at Sunrise Christian Academy. He's just the second KU player to be named National Gatorade Player of the Year as a signee. Do you know the other one? Andrew Wiggins. You are correct, sir. Well done, Andrew Wiggins. That's a little bit of a surprise. There are only two Gatorade Players of the Year that have ever gone to KU. I was surprised at that. I would have said Drew Gooden would have been another one, but apparently that's not. yeah. I would have guessed one of those three of the you know the triplets that came in. Yeah. You know, one of those guys, but obviously not. Uh, finally, a former Shocker women's basketball star from Hoxie, Kansas, J.C. Hoyt, leaving her position as the head women's basketball coach of the University of. Missouri, Kansas City. She leaves UMKC. She is now the head coach of the Oklahoma State Cowgirls program as Jim Littell was let go. I don't know how that happened. I'm not saying anything negative about the hire. I think it's an amazing hire, but they do remember that he was the Big 12 Women's Coach of the Year last year. So what happened between being the best coach in the league and now, now you know what, we can do better. You know What? The, the one thing I will say is that she has had quite the career trajectory i mean she's younger than we are and she's about yeah she's about our age she's like 34 i think maybe very close i don't remember when she believe it or not uh, i'll tell you this and kind of date myself her husband is actually somebody that i went to school with oh okay and, and he was in charge of major gifts up the University of Kansas. And now, you know, obviously he is far more successful, far more good looking than I could ever hope to be. Oh, but come on. Uh, yeah, they're they're doing. Uh, You're I mean, fishing I, for compliments. You want me to be like, oh, don't worry, no, Blake. No, You're I good don't. Looking. No, no. The, I, I'm I'm very much on the side of your feelings don't care about the truth. And <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm living that every day. But yeah, I think that she is in our in our age bracket, very yeah. close. She might be my age. I don't know, but. Yeah, I think it's a great hire for Oklahoma State. Sure. She actually coached Erica Mattingly from Wichita South up there after she transferred out of a D1 program in Texas um, and went to Butler County Community College. And she had UMKC uh, playing very, very, very well. So I think that that's a great hire for Oklahoma State. She had time at Kansas State as an assistant coach as well. Uh, very, very exciting. She was the National Women's Coach of the Week a couple of weeks. Um, I, I think it's a really, really good hire for Oklahoma State. And so I think J.C. Hoyt, I think she'll do very, very well. Uh, be interesting to see how that changes the dynamics on the women's side, because obviously you and I are very uh, very up-to-date on the women. Uh, we should tell you about that. The women's basketball team for KU losing in the first round. The Kansas State women also out of the NCAA tournament. So both uh, women's Kansas teams. Women, Kansas women won their first game. They yeah, lost, they won the first they game. Lost to lost Stanford. In the, a pretty sizable loss to right, Stanford, right. too. But not that that wasn't unexpected. But you've got a couple of programs there, Kansas State and KU, that are both on the come up, hopefully. Yeah. You've still got Baylor and a lot of really other good other teams in the Big 12. So be interesting to see how she does down there in Stillwater. Uh, like I said, I, I still think it's a, a tremendous hire for Oklahoma State. I suspect that she will have success there. 
Sure. Uh, I have one more addition uh, to the last show. Last one. Here you go. Obvi- obviously, we know that uh, within from the time we had our last show to now, Major League Baseball and the Players Association reached an agreement. So the lockout is over. Spring training it. is underway. And we would be remiss to not mention that Zach Grinky is a royal again, uh, which is absolutely crazy. It's unbelievable. I'm so happy that he's back home with Kansas City. Uh and he pitched his first game in spring training on Tuesday for or Wednesday, I think it was for Kansas City. So great to see him back in Royal Blue. I, I, a thirteen million dollar deal. Do you think that this is this a sign? Because he, you know, the last three seasons with Houston, um, he wasn't exactly dominant. But he was really good. Yeah. I mean, three point eight nine ERA in fifty two games. You know, in these days, if you're under four, that's a pretty, pretty good, yeah. um, pretty good starter, pretty reliable. How much does he have left in the tank? I don't know. This is a very unroyal like move, I would say, or it is a very royal like move if you want to go back to Benito Santiago and Juan Gonzalez if he comes in and is just terrible this year. Gil Mesh. I, I kind of oh, let's not bring up that name. <laughs> I kind of I don't feel like that's the I don't feel like this is a situation where the Royals are overpaying a guy that's past his prime. I feel like I feel like he's got something left in the tank. Yeah. What do you think this says about where the Royals see themselves in 2022? I think the Royals wanted to upgrade a veteran arm in their rotation from Mike, which needed from Mike Miner. Which um, needed several upgrades. Sure. Mike Miner. I'm, but I'm talking about a veteran arm. Um, sure. Mike Miner was their veteran arm in the rotation. And had a couple flashes of being okay, but he was not. He was yeah, not a consistently. a bunch of flashes of being doo-doo. Yeah, he was not consistently solid at all. Uh, no. And I think it made sense for them to throw some money at Zach Grinky. And, you know, Grinky is on record saying that really the only place he wanted to go was back to where it all started. And and, and I think that there's an opportunity. Very romantic. Here. There's an opportunity here for Zach Grinky to maybe not change the narrative of his tenure in Kansas City, but to at least improve upon it. When you look back up with his time with Kansas City, you know, yeah, don't get me wrong. He he there were flashes of brilliance. He won the Cy Young Award, for God's sakes, while he was a member of he the Royals. He was great, yeah. He was great. But he the also... The team was terrible. The team was terrible. And also, there were lots of stories of Zach Grinky being Zach Grinky with the Royals. And it was before he was really understood as a person. I'm just going to say Before it became it. cool to be Zach Grinky. I'm just going to say it. Zach Grinky's a weirdo. I think he, Zach Greinke, I think he would himself say he's a weirdo. Um, he didn't really. But now have we any, like that about he, him, rather right. than just being confused by he it. He didn't really have a lot of friends on the team, and you know, there were some mental health things going on. I know he was battling depression, and you know, th- there were times he, he he considered giving up the game altogether. Um, you know, he's battled through a lot of adversity, so God bless him. But yes, back in that in that time, I was one of those people that said. Is this guy worth it? Yeah, he's a good pitcher, but he's bizarre. Uh, and, he and now you're, you hit the nail on the head. It, it's cool to be Zach Grinky now. Uh, and so I'm glad to see him back in Kansas City. As am I. And uh, that'll kind of lead us into the end of the show here. Uh, we will actually be back next week. It will not be a full episode. We will only, unless something 
absolutely bananas at like Tyree Kill getting traded back to the Chiefs. I guess we'd have to mention that. Uh, the next week, our plan is we'll have a shorter episode, 30 minutes or less, but we'll be talking about KU basketball next week. We're going to focus only on the Jayhawks in the NCAA tournament. It will be a Final Four, we hope, preview show or we'll be uh, talking about our 2021-22 Kansas basketball season in review. Mm. Uh, that'll be coming up. And, I mean, if they lose, we may just not have a show. If they win, I guarantee that we will be here next week uh, previewing the Final Four. If they lose, we'll probably just save it, come back in a couple of weeks on our regular schedule. So we'll plan to see you then on our next regularly scheduled show in two weeks. Our first show of April, it'll be our official 2022 Kansas City Royals season preview. And uh, obviously, the fate of the pitching staff is going to be way, way different after the signing today. Pitchers and catchers reporting, and uh, it'll be just in time for the start of the delayed baseball season after the first couple of weeks that the guys will have off for extra spring training. Uh, Kansas City Royals baseball is coming up. We'll have that previewed for you in a couple of weeks. Tommy, until next week, I hope for our beloved audio listeners, your Twitter handle. Where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, you can follow me anytime on Twitter at Tweets from Tommy. I am at B.E. Cripps, and of course the show is at CogPod. Thank you very much for listening, watching. Make sure you share and subscribe with a friend. Really appreciate your support of the show. We hope to see you next week on an abbreviated episode of The Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G pod.